Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Breaks a tackle. Oh boy, um, I'm honestly not even sure where to start with this one. That football game was incredible. I've never seen anything like it in so many different ways. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, before we get into the show, I do have to tell you guys about our friends at Canyon Bakehouse. Um, I want to tell you about their delicious certified gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods in uh, Johnstown, Colorado. Uh, Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and the texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle or purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. I've really been thinking a lot about how to do this show because there is just so much to break down from last night. Uh, it's actually Sunday morning right now when I'm recording this. I was going to try to record this uh, Saturday night, but I got back from that stadium pretty late and had to write something that'll be going up pretty soon here. And I like post-mated uh, a bunch of Red Bull and a pizza from 7-Eleven. And the pizza actually was not that bad. I still won't ever do that again because it's like the, the pride thing. But by the time I got done with all that other work, I decided that this would not turn out as well as it should probably turn out. So now it's Sunday morning. I've had a little time to reflect. And the more I reflect, the more I realize that last night was just incredible. Um, I think the best plan is for me to kind of go through my whole day and the whole roller coaster that was Nebraska Day uh, from the time I got up to the tailgates from the time that I left and came back here and got a pizza delivered from 7-Eleven, which is just embarrassing. But then in the second segment, we'll do a two-segment show. I'll, I'll talk about what we learned from these football teams and what really matters going forward and less about just the hype that comes with beating Nebraska on a missed field goal by their third-string kicker in overtime. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so let's get going. I got up to Boulder like 10, 10.30. It was all red outside. You know, we'd been hearing 
from the athletics department. We were hoping to keep it to 15,000 inside. There's nothing we can do about outside. It's going to be bad. Uh, and it was. It was Nebraska fans everywhere. You drive in, and there are these four girls, probably five, four or five, in a, four or five years old. There were four girls. They're dressed up in these Nebraska cheerleading costumes, just sitting on the hill for all these cars that drove by. It was all red. It was all red. Like, I'm not sure if it was three to one, four to one, five to one, but it was in that range. And it was it was shocking to see that many Husker fans. Uh, got over the uh, BSN, BST tailgate, and that was awesome. Got to talk to a bunch of different people. You know, obviously Ryan and Allie were there. Harrison Wind, a CU guy who covers the Nuggets for us, was there with his girlfriend. A uh, bunch of people from BST, Tyler Ziskin, and then a bunch of you guys, too. And it was awesome to get to meet uh, some of you, uh, hear what you guys think of the podcast, all that sort of stuff. So much fun to actually meet you guys in person, and hopefully we get to do more of that soon because we're going to be having those tailgates before every Buffs game. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, Buff Walk, I think, is what it's called. Mel Tucker. Every time I see Mel Tucker, it's just my mind is blown. That man is so intense. He knows how to carry himself. When he's just leading that team through all the fans, the cheerleaders, the dancers, the ba- it's it's incredible. It's incredible. And that's what, that's what the talk was after. Everybody around us just kept saying like, wow, did you see Mel? And that isn't usually what happens with a head coach. Usually, I mean, in that situation, people should be saying like, oh, do you see KD and LaVisca walking with Steven? We should read into that. But no, it's Mel out in front of everybody because that's just the kind of guy he is. Um, went to the stadium, went up. Uh, did you go to the press box? Yeah, I went up to the press box first. Uh, took a while to find it. I didn't really know where I was going, but got up there. It's a pretty cool view of the field. And as I'm setting my stuff down, I look at the, they're, they're all assigned seats. So mine just said like Henry Chisholm, BSN Denver section, whatever row or front row seat 31 or something like that. And there were a lot of people for the media there, probably 200. And I look over at the tag next to me and it's Woody Page. And so my mind was blown because I'm a huge Woody Page fan. You know, I've been reading Woody Page for forever. When, when you're a Denver sports fan from Montana, you don't get to have conversations with people about the Broncos or about the Rockies or the Nuggets because nobody else up there knows what's going on. So you're kind of just stuck reading. And so you read everything that comes out from Woody Page or Kisler, whoever it is at the time. And so to actually sit next to him, that was super exciting to see. Uh, I've like been reading his books. Like he's a person who I was a fan of when I was younger, and then studied when I realized that I needed to study people like him if I'm going to have a future in this job. Uh, so yeah, throw my stuff down, run back down the field, uh, watch warmups. Got to spend a couple minutes with a couple Buffs recruits. Uh, Jerry Rice's kid, Brendan Rice, is a four-star. It sounds like he's probably going to Michigan. That's not coming from me. That's coming from what I know of him. Um, They were pretty into it. I'll say that. I'll say that they were pretty into what was going on at Folsom, and that was before the game. You know, watching warm-ups is so cool. Watching everybody come out of the tunnel, so obviously hyped. Nebraska fans everywhere. 
there there were more Nebraska fans than Buffs fans in that stadium. I don't think you can argue that at this point. Um, and they were loud. They were really loud. And when the Huskers came out, it was something else. But then, you know, everybody goes up to the locker rooms. And so I try to stake out a spot to get a cool video of Ralphie. Because what else am I going to do with that 10 minutes? I mean, actually, there was other stuff going on then. I ran to McChesney and talked to McChesney for a bit. Uh, talked to Daniel Graham for a couple minutes. I'd never met him. Um, but, yeah, so I go over to where they're backing up Ralphie. And I'm just standing next to her. Or I don't know what you call Like the trailer they keep her in. And you could just see one eye out of a slat in the trailer. And, my goodness, buffaloes are just terrifying. Um get to watch them like load her up all that kind of stuff and then they bring her over next to where the players are kind of gonna come out it takes a couple minutes for everybody to be ready to go and then all of a sudden smoke starts coming out from the tunnel where the buffs are coming from and all of a sudden you see them come out of the smoke you know like five lot five wide um with mel tucker in the front again and it's just like that buff walk where you see him and you're like who is this guy like what is this he just gets it you know he's holding everybody back it's just the most hyped up thing i've ever seen and then and then ralphie runs and they chase ralphie and there's fifty thousand people screaming there's nothing like it there's really nothing like it. i've never seen anything like that before um. Yeah, Ralphie didn't hurt anybody, which was cool. So yeah, then we run up to the press box, watch the football game, and we'll get more into the game in the second segment. But it was cool. I got to watch football with Woody Page for four hours. And he wasn't super talkative the whole time. But toward the end, we had some awesome conversations, just mind-blowing stuff. Um. Yeah, and then after the game, actually with about five minutes left in the game, I ran down onto the field, set myself up in that end zone behind uh, where the Buffs had to score to tie the game and send it to overtime. Uh, from the press box, you know, we can open up the windows, and so we have an idea of what it's like out there. But when you're down on the field, it is totally different. It's... It's so loud. It's it's so it's so incredibly loud. I again like there's just nothing to compare it to. And so the buffs are coming down the field, all that stuff. Super exciting. I'm back in front of the student section. Tony Brown catches the touchdown. Everybody goes crazy. Uh Chris Miller picks the pass off. Everybody goes crazy again. It looks like they're gonna have a field goal to win it. Turns out that gets called back. Um, and then you guys all saw what happened. Buffs kicked a field goal. The Huskers missed a field goal and stormed the field. So before that field goal attempt, I figured I should run up to the top. So there's like, I don't even know what they call that, but just where it's kind of like asphalt that says Colorado. I just ran up to the top of that in the middle. Um, so I could get a view of the uprights so that, I could get a video of the ball like 
going wide of the uprights if he missed. And he did miss. And the video was just as cool as I expected. And so, actually, I, I saw it on the broadcast. Uh, the apparently You can totally see me just, like, crouching in front of the student section, getting that video, and then just, like, sprinting toward the field as soon as it's over. And I look like an idiot because those aren't running shoes. And just getting passed by the student section who they're wild. The ones that were left, it's a plenty of people left before, like when it was 17-0 or something like that, or more left after uh, they scored the flea flicker touchdown and gave up the touchdown the next play. It's like they've never seen college football before. Like this stuff happens, not often, but enough to make you stay in your seat because you can't miss a comeback like that and so many people did and I kind of feel bad for them but mostly they deserve it but uh yeah so you go down on the field and everybody's just going crazy I can't remember who it was I'm pretty sure it was uh Terrence Lang gets tackled by a bunch of students just because he was the first buff that they were able to run into um and then they all help him up and he's just, like, smiling. You keep going, and, you know, LaVisca and K KD are getting picked up in the air. Uh, the, the There's, like, this kid dancing uh, with a bunch of the DBs in the middle of the mosh pit. Like, in the very middle of the mosh pit. Somehow this kid got in there. He's probably 11, dancing with Jaron Mangum. And I got a video of that one that's super cool. If you guys want to see more, like, I put a bunch of this stuff on Twitter and it's also on my Instagram story, but I don't really use Instagram for work that much. So it's probably not worth following me. But yeah, look on Twitter. I, I posted a bunch of those videos. But again, it's just unlike anything I've seen before. I broke my glasses. I don't know when. Probably when I was trying to push my way into the middle of the mosh pit and got in there and realized that there was just an 11-year-old dancing with Jaron Mangum. And that's why everybody was going crazy. But somewhere in there, I lost an arm of my glasses, which is too bad. And so driving home in the dark, I had to just wear them like an idiot again. So, yeah, it was something else. I caught uh, some of Adrian. Oh, I also got a really cool video of Aaron Maddox giving his gloves to a kid. And, you know, because I just recorded like the whole seven, eight minutes that all of this was happening and then cut up a couple of my favorite parts. But. Just at one point, Aaron's walking by, and I was like, okay, well, this is pretty cool. He's, like, just giving high fives to people. So I, like, hold the camera up over him, and uh, he never sees it, and he just keeps going, and I lose him for a second. And then when I see him again, he's on the ground giving this kid his gloves, and it's just the cutest thing. I mean, the kid's eight, maybe? I, I don't know kid ages. That's really something I need to get better at. But it's just so cool. And it's like Aaron said, like, it's – that's what the whole thing is all about. Just having moments like that. Especially like that kid will never, ever forget getting those gloves. And I'm sure other other buffs were giving their gloves away or signing things and all that kind of stuff, taking pictures. I saw Nate Landman taking a bunch of pictures. But that's the one I got the video of. And it's just so cool to see. It's so cool to see all the students get involved with the football team, you know, Evan Batty was posting some awesome videos because um, he was going crazy. I think he said something like, this was the most fun I've ever had in my life, which is pretty incredible. 
but that's what you want a college football team to do. You want it to be for the students, give students moments like that. And now they'll come back. Um, this borderlines on talking football, which we were going to save for the next portion of this podcast. But it's also great to be doing things like that when you have every recruit there. Those sidelines were packed. You know, I was specifically looking for Brendan Rice because he's Jerry Rice's kid. He's great at football. He's going to be something special. I'm pretty confident in that. But it was hard to find him because there were so many of those people just everywhere. And they all got to see the buffs at their very, very best. You know, it's you don't get moments like that very often. You guys know better than me. Maybe there's been one in the last couple of years. Maybe clinching the Pac-12 South or something like that rivals it. But I wouldn't be surprised if nothing like this has happened in the last 10 years here. It was just so special, and I was so lucky to be a part of it. Um, also saw a couple, well, not all subscribers, but <laughs> some podcast listeners and some sub- subscribers down on the field after the game, which is always fun. Um I'm glad you guys got to see it too. And yeah, I mean, it was just incredible to be a part of. And I stayed out there so long. I actually missed most of the press conferences. I figured with so much media there, they'd ask all the questions that I'd probably want to have asked. I'd rather show people the what's going on on the field. What does this all look like? And we got some good stuff. And hopefully I can find a couple more clips to tweet out today when I have a chance to go back through those videos. Um, but yeah, then got, I went to Adrian Martinez, was his press conference for a couple minutes and boy, was that sad. Uh, you know, like hate the Huskers all you want, but most of these kids only made like one bad decision in their life. And that was to go play for Nebraska. And outside of that, they're actually pretty decent people. And so seeing them go through something like that is always tough, but you know, it's, an interesting part of the job run back up to the press conference because I figured or run back up to the press box because I figured uh the bus press conferences were already done and sit down next to Woody and realize that they aren't done that Mel Tucker is still talking and they're playing the audio from the press conference through the PA system up there and so we're both just working you know writing I was mostly cutting up videos to put on Twitter at that point. Um, and then all of a sudden, Woody just grumbles, how many effing hats does this guy have? And I was like, what? And he said, he just keeps taking his effing hats off. And I was like, well, what? And th- And then I realized he's talking about the press conference where Mel Tucker is saying, uh, I'm taking taking my hat off to the administration, taking my hat off to the fans. And, you know, that's just the kind of stuff that you only get if you sit with Woody Page through all of this. And he's t- talking about which questions are good, which questions are bad. I mean, he's talking a lot more about the bad questions than the good questions, if we're being honest. You know, and might be an hour later, he uh, we start talking ag- again, and he says, you know, I used to think back in the day when uh, there were 
there were chartered planes to take you between the World Series games, uh, and all the writers would be on them. So I'd sit with like Jim Murray and who whoever else he said, and I used to think, you know, if this plane crashes, my name might not even make the story, which is a hilarious thought. But then he said, you know, if this press box goes down, I'd probably be the first name listed. <laughs> and, and like, you know, that comes off when I say it as a little bit pretentious, but it really wasn't the way he was saying it because we'd been talking about how, honestly, how cool it is for me to get to sit next to him for a full football game. And then he starts yelling at Kizla, like, hey, Kiz, hey, Kiz, uh, if we all die, you think your uh, name's getting in the first paragraph? And Kiz is like, ah, it's probably going to the third. And, you know, it's it's just such a cool thing to be a part of up there with some amazing writers. And I'm sure some of you don't like his work. Uh, some of you probably love it like I do. Same thing with Kiz. But it's such a cool thing to see and such a cool thing to be a part of. I have no idea what time I got home last night. I think it was after 10. It all kind of ran together. Decided to write, order that 7-Eleven pizza, which I, I, I really should go back and edit all those parts out. I shouldn't be telling you guys. I do stuff like that. Um, and some Red Bull. So, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy day up in Boulder. And... It's it's weird. We don't have to pick what's more important. Just that environment and how cool of an experience it was for everybody who got to see what happened on that football field. But that might actually be more important than like any of the takeaways. You know, that's one of those games where it's like, you know, if they win that one and then just blow however many in a row, it's worth it because that was just incredible. All right. I'm going to take a second to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the original, uh, nope, the official beer of PSN Denver. Sometimes I have trouble reading. Uh, it is the original Colorado beer. It's established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world-famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. Which reminds me, you know, we were, we were doing like the No Strawberry Sky for Nebraska Week because it's in a red can. When are, we, when are we using ends on Twitter again? Because I've noticed that people still have like the ends like X'd out or uh, some of them X'd out in red, which surprised me because I thought we were doing no red too. But uh yeah, still typing, like, the tweets with no ends. How long does that last? Like, is that going to just keep going all season or three years until Nebraska comes back up to Boulder, September 7th, 2023? Or can we move on and make it easier for me to read the tweets? I don't know. I'm not trying to be pushy one way or the other. Just curious. Um, back to the beer, though. For you beer enthusiasts, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events we have planned, and we'll be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. 
Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. All right. That is enough football or non-football talk. I don't know how we're going to move past this, honestly. You know, that's like what sports is all about. What happened yesterday, like the ups and the downs and so many happy people and so many sad people and being able to rush the field and all those emotions. They're just going so quickly and changing so quickly and the peaks are just so much higher than anything that I've been through in months, probably. I don't, is that sad to say? I don't think that's sad to say. To like, I haven't been nearly as hyped up as I was for that crowd rush missed field goal thing. As you know, it's just very huge, impactful stuff, and there's a little bit of a hangover from it. I don't know when that goes away. Hopefully, sometime today. Mel Tucker's probably got out of his system already. Mel's probably already, like, dug up the game plan. He already knows exactly what's going on next week. And I'll be up in Boulder Monday, tomorrow, to hear what he has to say about the game and about Air Force. And I guess maybe that's when we'll move on. I'm not really sure. Uh, I feel changed, though, after seeing everything I saw yesterday. On to football. On to football. Um, so many things to talk about from this football game because they look like two different teams you know that first half team was terrible the second half team was very good what do you do with that information I think we have to start let's just talk LaVisca Chenault because how do you not start with LaVisca Chenault he's LaVisca Chenault I thought we'd see more of him I think that's where you have to begin uh, I thought he was going to take over this game. He had five catches for 31 yards, long of nine yards. Uh, he ran the ball two, and he ran for six yards on three carries. That's 37 yards total. Not what I expected. You know, it would have made more sense if the defense was spending more time looking at him if they were doubling him, but there were plenty of times that he was single covered and Montez didn't want to throw to him. 
You know, if if I were in charge, every time LaVisca's single covered, the safety's in the middle, he's not going to be able to beat LaVisca outside, I'm sending him up the sideline, I'm throwing a deep ball, and I'm hoping we're going to pick up 50 yards or a touchdown. That's me, though. That's not what was going on yesterday. You know, on LaVisca's second touch, he picked up that first down. He got hit pretty hard. Uh, you know, we don't really like to speculate too much about injuries, but he got hit pretty hard. He wasn't in the game quite as much from there on out. He missed some third downs. I think he missed a fourth down, at least one fourth down, actually. Um, and, you know, he wasn't a huge, huge factor. Uh, some people saying he was holding his shoulder. They could see on the TV broadcast. I don't know about that. I don't want to dig into it if I don't know anything about it. But you don't like to see it. And I was surprised that LaVisca didn't get more chances because he was open, too. There were times he was open. Um, one more note on LaVisca. Turns out they're willing to put him at kick returner if if they think they need somebody to do something with the ball, you know, if they need a big play. And he killed it up until the fumble. That was an incredible return. He was brushing off tacklers. He was getting downfield so fast. I mean, it's not a surprise that he was able to do that. He would probably be the best kick returner in the country if you put him at kick returner consistently. Um, fumble at the end. It was a it was a dumb play on LaVisca's part, you know? He was holding the ball a little loose. Uh, just got to tighten that up. That's all there is to it. And I have no doubt that he will because you don't, you don't fumble the ball because you're just a little loose with it twice. Um, at least you shouldn't, and LaVisca doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would. I like the look. I really like the look. Um, it'll be interesting to see what it takes to put LaVisca at kick returner. Whether, in that case, what were they? Were they down 17-0 at that point the first time? The first time was the fair catch. So I, I think they might have been down 17-0. Um... Maybe sometimes it happens when you're down 10. Maybe sometimes it, you're down 20 and it doesn't happen. Something to watch for sure. Uh, Katie Nixon was returning some punts once they got down. And we saw that in the Rocky Mountain Showdown as well. I, I can't remember if they were down when they put him back there. But they did put him in. And he's listed as the second punt returner. And I guess that means there's a rotation at that job too between him and Dimitri Stanley. Katie's a guy that they don't want to put back there. But if they need to put him back there then they will um which is good to know that's how you win football games and it keeps the guys safe you know before the season we were saying do you put lavisca back there do you not put lavisca back there and all the answers were very black and white the put him back there if you need him back there it seems like the easy answer hopefully hopefully it works out uh that's lavisca chenault I think the easy transition when we're talking about LaVisca not having a big day is Steven Montez because in the first half, he was checking down every pass he could. He wasn't trying to push the ball downfield. It was... I think the Buffs' offense was shooting for, you know, that take what the defense gives you a style of passing game, and they were just a little bit more conservative than that. You know, the defense was giving them... 10, 15 yards downfield, LaVisca would be open. And Montez would still choose to throw the ball underneath to a tight end or a running back and see if they can make a play. 
the first time that he actually did throw a ball downfield was the interception where he underthrew it and the guy in the underneath zone was just there to jump and pick it off because he didn't get it over him. Um, it's interesting that that's the problem he was having, given his kind of kind of the book on Steven Montez, because Steven's a guy who has a big arm and can make the big plays, but he was, it, it's almost like he was trying to show that he can be a game manager, and he just took it a little too far, was a little too conservative. The offensive line didn't help. There were a couple third downs he didn't really have a chance. There's one third down when one guy got a hand on him, and he just kind of turtled, pulled the ball into his chest, hugged it, and it wasn't another second or second and a half before he went down, you know? It was just a little early to tuck it. He looked a little bouncy back in the pocket. And part of that's because there was a pass rush in that game. And he had to watch out. He was sacked three times. But he's played a little bit scared is how I would say for the first half. And even that last drive when they started to move the ball before halftime um, and stalled out around midfield, he was doing the same thing. It was just working. You know, he was picking up five yards, then seven yards, then three yards. And it was just enough to keep the chains moving. And eventually when you're playing that kind of football, it just stops. You know, there's a sack. And then all of a sudden that style of offense doesn't work on second and 18. Um, or there's a penalty. Or there's a drop. Or whatever happens, it just takes every play working for that style of offense to get you all the way down the field. Whereas when you're willing to take some 15-yard chances, then... Those pickups are huge, and it also opens up the underneath routes later on. He just didn't make the defense respect those longer passes, and so they didn't get as much out of those shorter passes either. Uh, running game, eh, it was all right. Uh, you know, Alex Fontenot made some plays. Jaron Mangum made some plays. If Fontenot had 10 carries and Mangum had 11, which I thought was pretty interesting, I think combined, combined the average a little over four yards per carry. It's not bad. That's pretty solid. Um, yeah, I like what I saw. I think that, you know, the Huskers probably aren't one of the 25 best teams in the country, and they probably shouldn't have been ranked going into that game. But they do have some guys up front. Um, they're big. They're good tacklers. They should be able to stop the run. And to pull what they pulled out of it, for the bus to pull what they pulled out of it, I thought was pretty good. We'll see what this split looks like going forward. Uh, Jaron Mangum, 11 carries, 44 yards. Alex Fontenot, 10 carries, 42 yards. Uh, Mangum had both touchdowns. Both of them had highlight reel stuff, bouncing off tacklers. Uh, Fontenot had a great catch. I'm not concerned about them. Maybe not quite as high on them as I was after the first game, but... Still still don't have to worry about the running game at this point, I don't think. I think that the schedule will open up and become a little bit easier to run going forward. Um, other receivers? or did I, skip? I, I, I thought I had some more thoughts on Montez. In the second half, he really did open it up. Um, and he said, like, after the game, actually, I think I have that quote here. We get the printouts of all the quotes. They transcribe them all for us, which is so nice. And that's part of the reason why I don't feel like I had to like sprint over to a press conference instead of going down to the field. He said that they just calmed down 
and took the coaching and applied it. You know, that's what you want to hear. That's what you have to do. And it would have been nice if they had come out calm and ready, but they didn't. They, they looked a little panicky. They didn't look like themselves. Uh, and so it was good to see that they were able to adjust, and that was really the difference in the game because that's when he started throwing the ball downfield. You know, you have to be confident to throw that flea flicker bomb to Katie Nixon. Uh, Katie had a great ga- game, by the way. I don't think he caught a pass in the first half. But uh, in the second half, he put up 160-something yards maybe on six catches. You know, the 97-yard touchdown, 96-yard touchdown helps. But he he looked shifty. He looked quick. Same with LaVisca. When LaVisca got the ball, he was making guys miss. Um, but, yeah, he started throwing the ball downfield. He started making it. You know, instead of saying we need to be 100% on these four-yard plays, he said we need to be 33% on these 10-plus-yard plays. And that's how you pick up first downs and move down the field. And I like that strategy a lot better. Um, Second half, he looked like a very good quarterback. And hopefully that's who he is the rest of the way. Receivers, Tony Brown did what he needed to do. Uh, he made some plays. He caught that touchdown, obviously. He had a couple drops. He had the one in the end zone he probably could have gotten earlier in the game. Brady Russell had four catches. That's quite a few. Alex Fontenot had four catches. Uh, Dimitri Stanley contributed. Jalen Jackson contributed. Good day for the receivers, I'd say. Um, offensive line looked better in the second half than they did in the first Still a work in progress. Still need to keep improving. Uh, so now let's get into the defensive side of the ball. And where to start there? I think I think Davion Taylor. You know, we didn't see much of him in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, but he was everywhere yesterday. He he was breaking up passes. I think what they credited him. Yeah, credited him two uh, passes broken up. He was making tackles, eight tackles. Um, he was there on plays where you wouldn't expect him to be there. I mean, he was fighting through blocks when they're trying to run those screens outside. He was he was hitting guys. I was really impressed, and I think that he I think that they were hiding him last week so that Nebraska wouldn't know that he's a game wrecker, or who knows, maybe there was an injury, something like that. But they know who he is, and there was a reason they didn't put him on the field in week one. We're going to see him on the field from here on out. Uh, Mikhail Onu forces a fumble after pulling two interceptions last week, got a turnover when the team really needed a turnover. I think, let's see, where were they? Yeah, so uh, Nebraska was driving. Eh, No, I'd say they were driving. And uh, it was a time when they probably could have put the game almost to bed. Big play. Uh, Akil Jones played very well. In limited snaps, very impressed. It seemed like whenever he was on the field, he was making tackles. That's good to see because I think there might be a bit of a rotation there at that second inside linebacker spot after Nate Landman. Uh, Makai Blackman with a sack, forced fumble. Uh, It was a strip sack. Those are the same play. You know, solid stuff. The secondary didn't... Secondary struggled in the first half. I want to say at halftime... Adrian Martinez had completed all nine of his passes for 180 yards, and I think one touchdown, plus he had been running the ball. First drive of the game, he had a 12-yard run, which was longer than any run last week against South Alabama. It was pretty ugly. 
uh, secondary struggled sticking with those guys, but that was mostly because there wasn't much of a pass rush. Martinez could do whatever he wanted. He threw the ball when there was somebody open downfield, and there was quite a bit of the time. And if there wasn't, he had plenty of options, plenty of running lanes, uh, because his offensive line was able to seal guys out, and he could pick up five yards or ten yards or whatever was there with his legs, because that's just something that he can do. Um, but in the second half, the the pass rush really stepped up. I thought it was very, very impressive. Uh, Mustafa Johnson. The 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 bad part about my job is that it, like I was up in Boulder from ten a.m. Until I got back at a little after 10 p.m., like 10.30 now that I think it, it was pretty late. But uh, I don't get to watch much college football. I, I kind of just have to watch this. And so now I have to go back and watch all the other Pac-12 games, all the other big name games, because Dre and I are going to have a draft pod this week, and I need to know what I'm talking about. Um, but as of right now, Mustafa Johnson, he's going to get my Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week vote. Three sacks, forced fumble, another hit. Uh, that's what you need him to do. And Nebraska, again, has a very good offensive line, so the fact that he was able to do that is very impressive. Uh, Alex Changham stepped up with two sacks. It, we're starting to see something out of that pass rush, and we're seeing it. I, I was surprised. You know, he didn't get much of a pass rush against Colorado State, didn't get much of a pass rush in the first half against Nebraska, which makes sense because Nebraska's offensive line is very strong, just like it always is. So see them turn around and actually make some plays against that offensive line in the second half was just something that I didn't think they had a chance of doing because they weren't able to do it against the worst offensive line and they'd already been able to, or they'd already proven that they couldn't do it against this offensive line. That was a big step. That was a huge step in my mind. And you need to see more. You need to see it continue. Um, yeah, honestly, I think that might be most of my defensive notes. Pass rush really stepped up, and that's how the game changed. They put pressure on Martinez. Martinez didn't have all day to just pick apart the defense, which is something he can do. I think in the show last week I said that's something he can't do. You just want to seal him in the pocket, and he won't be able to do anything with it. I was wrong. He actually is a very good quarterback, and we saw it last year. He just wasn't on his game last week against South Alabama. Um, yeah, Numoto Fallow, uh, he recovered the fumble. Is there anybody else that we need to talk about? Probably Chris Miller with the interception, but we mentioned that earlier. Um, actually, the only... All right, there was the other, so... Oh, Fallow actually fell on both those fumbles. He fell on that one, and he also fell on the so the Mustafa Johnson and the Mikhail Onu fumbles. The Makai Blackman fumble, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was the one that Nebraska recovered. So the Buffs actually had three turnovers, and what'd they give up? They gave up the the uh, the LaVisca Chenault fumble and the interception where Steven Montez underthrew the ball. So they did win the turnover battle, which is something Mel always loves to talk about. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. 
you know, the the big thing that we saw, just like with that offensive line, with the defensive line and the pass rush, with uh, Steven Montez's decision-making, everything changed at halftime. And that's when the teams have 20 minutes to make adjustments. And like we've been saying, that favors Mel Tucker over Scott Frost because Mel Tucker's a guy who's... Not that Scott Frost isn't a good football mind. Mel Tucker's just an incredible football mind, and we're all pretty lucky to have him here in Colorado. I think that that's most of the takeaways. In overtime, there isn't really much to talk about. A couple good runs. I can't remember if it was Fontenot or Mangum. I think it was... I tweeted about it. I tweeted something about him spinning a lot. One of one of the two had a great run. Um, in the end, a field goal was enough. So that's exciting. Uh, I don't know if I have anything else I feel like I need to tell you guys today. So I might get out of here. Hopefully you guys are recovering from whatever happened to you with the game. I, I honestly feel super hungover, and I didn't, like, drink or anything that games like that just really, really wear on you. So hopefully you guys are recovering. Hopefully you guys are going to be ready to hear another show tomorrow after I go talk to Mel Tucker and a bunch of other people about what went down at Folsom Saturday. Because that, I've said this a bunch, but that was just incredible. And, you know, I'm lucky to be up there in Boulder every day. And I'm glad that you guys are listening in. This is setting up to be a pretty wild ride this season. And at this point, it feels like there's just no ceiling to what this team can do. You know, with the way the Pac-12 is shaking out, especially the Pac-12 South, you know, Utah is still the best team, but nobody else really looks all that good. USC kind of surprised me last night uh, with the true freshman quarterback stepping in for JT Daniels. But... You know, may, maybe uh, maybe USC is the number two in the division. Maybe it's Colorado. I think Colorado ha- might have one of the best wins so far of any Pac-12 school by beating Nebraska. We'll see, though, because we're going to get to watch the Buffs play all of these teams, and it's going to be a blast, and I'm so excited to be along for the ride with you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye, guys. Okay, actually, two things real quick. Um, I was just finishing editing this show when I realized that we didn't talk about two very important things that happened last night. Uh, Okay, maybe that didn't happen last night. But first, the Buffs volleyball team beat Illinois, uh, and Illinois was ranked fifth in the country. You know, even if that game hadn't happened, there was a good chance that the Buffs were going to jump up into the top 25 rankings. But sweeping the fifth best team in the country means that they could be a ways up in the rankings. Don't be surprised if they're a top 15 uh, team right now. They're 5-0 and to start the season. And they've... So you, you play best of five in all these matches. Uh, they've won 15 sets. They've lost one. They have four sweeps and one game where they let the other team win a set. That's pretty incredible. Uh, And they're going to be playing in Fort Collins against Colorado State on Thursday. And then in 
Boulder against Colorado State on Friday. So Thursday and Friday, I think. It might be Friday. No, it's Thursday, Friday. But uh, those are going to be awesome games because Colorado State is also just right outside the rankings. So big stuff there. Also, today, you guys might be listening to this too late to actually catch the game. But I think it's at 1. Uh, Buff Soccer plays Baylor. Baylor's ranked 24th at uh, Prentup Field in Boulder on the East Campus. So if if the Buffs win that, then they should be jumping up into the rankings too. Fall sports are undefeated. This is pretty cool stuff. Um, make sure you're following along, not just with football, because there's cool things that are going on all around this Buffs athletics department. Okay, actually, bye for real now. Sorry about this. <laughs> my bad.
Colorado I swag. I think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag.